My name's Kyle. I am our student pastor, and I'm really excited to be here with you today as we open up God's Word. We're going to continue in uh, our uh, series called Questions for God. And uh, if you would, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 is where we will begin. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have uh, an, a live event in our Bible app that you could uh, follow along with. As well, if you uh, want the analog version, we have some on the back right there by Doc Henderson right there. Uh, you can grab one of those. If you grabbed one of those hardback Bibles, we're on page 987. So if that helps you find that, that would be awesome for you to follow along with us. Um, I want you to think about this. Uh, there are a couple of things that we need in order to, in order to survive. Uh, one of those things is food right? Uh, it's one of the things that we need or we need to eat in order to, to survive. And um, as you think about that, uh, we have a lot of different things as it pertains to food, right? Uh, we have, uh, you know, we, food can get really expensive. Um, food can be very easy for us to get in our kind of area of the world that we live in to the, to the essence of we rarely kind of think about food in survival mode. It's mostly as a consumer of food. Don't worry tonight. Today's topic is not food. Trust me, you do not want me to go there. Um, we're going to talk about a different topic, but think, track along with me. Um, there are, uh, we, we rarely think about it in survival mode. We definitely think about it as, uh, as a consumer, right? Um, and food can get really expensive. Um, it can be very, you have to be very disciplined um, if you want to eat in a healthy manner, right? God created food for us to be good, right? He created these things uh, for us to be good, and he did, he did create food to be enjoyable. But what our culture has done has kind of created this uh, manifestation of uh, this market called fast food, right? And, uh, and unless you're disciplined, you know, there, there are some people that are very disciplined in this manner, and they, they prep their food, and they bring their lunches, and they do this for multiple reasons. Some of them might be uh, kind of dietary reasons, uh, some of them may be uh, financial reasons. Hey, we want to be, we have a budget and we want to stick to that budget. Uh, but there's always the situation that comes up, right? You don't pack your lunch for the day and you find yourself rushing out the door and uh, you get to work or wherever you're going, school, and it's just a really busy day. Um, or you're running errands and there's all these kinds of things and you find yourself looking at the clock thinking, there's not a whole lot of time left for me to eat. And so what you do is you pull up to one of our 500 fast food restaurants in the five mile area that we have, and you look at the board, right? And you look at the board and there's like 17 different hamburgers, right? And one of the things that I noticed uh, is uh, they don't sell hamburgers with one patty anymore. Do they? It's all like the kids' meals seem like they have two patties on them automatically, right? And uh, they have a hamburger, and then like automatically you're getting fries with it, right? Or you can get some sort of deep fried chicken and fries, and that is like the vast majority of the menu. And then there's like this little, like little small section that you might call the salad section, right? And you begin to look at the salad section, and you're like, okay, hey, you know what? Maybe I can't eat healthy today. And then you look to the right of that, and you see the price of that salad. And you think to yourself, hold on a second. 
on the hamburger that I could order for $3, you have lettuce, tomato, onions, dressing, and I can ask for more of that and they don't bat an eye. They want to give that stuff away for free on your burger. But if you want to just put all of that lettuce, tomato, onion, and dressing in a, in a bowl for me to eat, you're going to charge me $12? How in the world is this? The, like, how hard is it to make a salad, people? Like, seriously, someone help me understand this. And you're like, you know what? That... That burger looks amazing right now, right? They, they just brought back the A1 Thinking Hearty Burger to, to Whataburger, and they sent me an email. Like, how rude is that? Because I went that day and ate the A1 Thinking Hearty Burger because I'm like, I've missed you, right? But, like, it's so difficult because we live in a culture that is, like, completely flipped upside down. Food is no longer a need for us. It's, it's become a desire, right? And so we eat what is desirable to our eyes and to our stomachs, right? And we think about the things that we want to eat, and there's always this battle whether you want to eat healthy, you're on a diet or whatever, or you just want to indulge. There's all of these kinds of options, and the options that are easiest and the options that are cheapest are the options that are, that are not good for us, right? And uh, the culture that we live in has created um, something. It's, it's manipulated a need that God gave us, the need for food. And it's created kind of a subcategory within that food that isn't food that is good for us. And it's created like this desire. It's made that food uh, that isn't good for us or those things that aren't good for us desirable. And then made them so desirable that in our minds, somehow there's been a, a switch flipped that those desires now become needs, right? So we have a need, a God-given need for food but we don't need fast food, right? We don't need junk food. We need food, but God, but God has given to us something good, and our culture and our environment has manipulated that and made it so readily available for us to eat badly that we're constantly at war with this. And this is the picture that I want you guys to see for today. When we take something that God made as pleasing and use it inappropriately, it becomes very dangerous. And so today our topic is where's the line? And we're going to be talking about sexuality. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And this is what the Bible says for us. It says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that uh, that as you receive from us how you ought to live, and uh, to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know uh, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Pay attention. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards man, not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It's very clear in this passage, 
God has a plan for your life. He has a will for your life. God's will for your life is your sanctification, right? This is very clear. Like this is what everything hinges on in this passage is your sanctification, your holiness, your pursuit of God. This is the will of God, right? He, he says it very uh, sternly here. And if you even look at the punctuation, everything is built upon, this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? Um, your holiness to the point where he uses that word, uh, sanctification, uh, which is translated once sanctification and twice holiness in this passage. He uses it three times in this very passage. He wants you to understand the will of God is you to pursue holiness, to run towards Jesus, right? That is the will of God for your life. And so um, he, he, he kind of says like you pr- that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you um, both abstain and control your body and then you see to it that you do not wrong your brother in this manner. So there are these elements that are within us that involve us disciplining ourselves in order to have victory over this issue. This issue that our culture has created and made it very normal and very accessible and almost expected. Our culture has been leading uh, the conversation on this. The church um, has unfortunately, unfortunately been very, very silent as it pertains to um, how we interact with sexuality as a follower of Jesus. And that's why so many people asked questions, wrote in questions, and how do we deal with this? How do I interact with this? How do I deal with my friend? How do I deal with my neighbor or my spouse and all these kinds of things? Like, why are we asking so many questions when the, when the Bible is very clear on this? It's because I have to apologize on, the behalf, on behalf of the church. As a leader, we have not been very vocal about what we should do and how we should interact with this. And because the culture is winning on this issue, the culture has influenced the church. Where God um, has given us these things Culture has said, hey, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? These things are okay. And we've created this kind of sliding scale as to what we feel like is right and wrong, what we feel like is appropriate and not appropriate as it pertains to this issue. And so this sliding scale kind of looks a little bit like this. Um, I I used images uh, so we can um, kind of honor some of the younger kids in this room, but these are things that we need to address uh, that are very important. And so um, maybe uh, part of the scale is um, kind of the things you think about, fantasizing within your mind. Um, this happens with guys and this happens with girls equally. Um, but but maybe, uh, maybe, that's, um, maybe that's part of it. Or uh, maybe you take it a little bit further and you go from fantasy to a reality and, and the things that you're looking at on your device or on your computer Um, the things that our culture has made us ridiculously easy to access, these kinds of things, right? You can be watching a hilarious video on YouTube, and literally 30 seconds later, you're bombarded by images and scenes that are not appropriate for you, that are not pursuing holiness that is the will of God for your life. Or maybe it is... um, our culture making it almost expected for uh, two people that are engaged to move in together before they get married. 
Because it's almost expected when that happens. And I remember I was talking with some students a couple years ago, and we're talking about, hey, what does this look like? And they're like, well, yeah, obviously, you would, I would move in with my fiance when we get engaged. It's like, okay, obviously, explain to me what you're thinking. And they're like, well, you know, this is like everyone does it. You kind of like you need to figure each other out and that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, cool. Um, would you agree that we should, you know, abstain from sexual immorality? And they're like, absolutely. That's what we're talking about. And so my, my response is like, so where do you sleep? And they're like, huh? I didn't really think about that. I'm like, but, but there's this expectation of like, this is what you do, right? Uh, this is what happens next. Uh, it's, it's expected. Here's a f- fascinating statistic as it pertains to uh, the things that people look at on their phones. Um, that 99%, no one's bold enough to say 100%, but 99% of teenagers, by the time they graduate high school, will be exposed to some level of images that are not appropriate on some sort of device or printed out. 99%. No one's bold enough to say 100, uh, but the reality is whether you've put your kid in a bubble or not, someone is going to walk up to them and say, hey, check this out. Or they're going to be watching a show, a movie, and scene three is something that is not appropriate, right? Or your favorite show by the episode two, if there's not some sort of sex scene, it's not a really good show, is there? We're bombarded by this. Uh, We're bombarded by this to the fact where Christians that were polled, this is a Pew research, Christians that were polled, uh, between 60 and 70% of men that confess to be Christians have admitted to look at pornography in the last week. That's the people sitting in this room today. Between 20 and 40% of women had admitted to looking at pornography in the last week. And that statistic, everyone says is very low because uh, their, definition and the, and, and their definition of that isn't the same as what, what men would call. But the reality is half of the people in this room this week have thought about these kinds of things and, 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 and acted upon these kinds of things. Or maybe your line is... Um, Hey, you know, just these two teenage kids or two young adults that are dating and they begin to explore and see what they like and they don't like. Maybe, maybe you feel like that is okay. Well, kids will be kids. Boys will be boys. I want to make sure that I can make, you know, help them understand what's good for them and what's not good for them. Is that your line? Or, or maybe your line is somewhere along the lines of the, the marital relationship. Maybe, maybe your line is, uh, I'm not, I, I don't feel comfortable with a husband and a wife um, uh, being unfaithful to one another. Uh, a, a, a husband and a wife looking at one another and saying, we've fallen out of love, and I spend more time with this person at work or in my hobbies, and I begin to have, uh, develop feelings for them, and I acted upon these feelings. That splits a family, and that hurts. But what do we do? How have we stood up in the gap for that? Or maybe your line is when you see uh, a man and a man and a woman and a woman together, and you're like, I don't like that, and so that is not good. Or maybe your line is a little bit further down that. Maybe it involves kids or some sort of other thing. I don't know where you've drawn the line, but I, I do know this. We have all drawn the line somewhere because your actions represent what you really believe. And the way you interact with people that are engaging in these 
uh, aspects is really the definition of where you've drawn the line. And God is very clear as to where he's drawn the line on this. He's drawn a big circle around every single one of them. He says, this is the same word that he uses in this passage, porneia. This is what the Greek word looks like. This is the word that he uses in this passage. It says, abstain from, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Porneia. This is the word that's in your bulletin that I want all of you to, to, I want you to grab that sheet of paper eventually today. You don't have to do it right now. But this is the word. This is how you'd spell it in English for those of you that aren't Greek scholars. Um, Porneia. This is where we get our word, our root word for pornography. Sexual immorality. This is what the Bible says to abstain from. And we have drawn the line by our actions or maybe just mentally about what we feel comfortable with. And God says, no, 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 no. All of it is sin. All of it is sin. Here's how the Bible talks about sex. Sex is a gift to be given away between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. I want you to understand that, that, that God gave us this gift to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. It is a gift to, to give to your spouse. So the question is, where is the line? And my response would be, if you ask yourself, is this for me or is this for my spouse? Because if you're doing something and it's for yourself and it's selfish in nature, the Bible would say, no, 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 that is not honoring what we have called, why I created this gift for you to give away. But if this, if what you're doing is for your spouse, then God would honor that. And we call that worship, actually. And he would encourage that. But the reality is our culture has created a new kind of platform because the church has been so silent on this. Our, our culture would say, like, hey, you know what? It's not that big a deal. Everyone else is doing it. Our culture would say, you know what? It's not hurting anyone else. The Bible would, would actually uh, kind of counteract that. It says that, um, that you shouldn't, um, as it pertains to this, uh, that we shouldn't transgress, verse 6, that we shouldn't transgress, transgress and wrong our brother or sister in this manner. That the things that you do, whether it's a thought or an image or uh, an action, that all of these things... They affect our relationship with God, and they affect our relationship with one another. All of these things. And, uh, and the problem is the church has been mostly silent on this topic. The church has uh, kind of said, oh, you know what? I don't know. What the church needs to stand up and say is God gave us this as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage. It's a good gift Picture this. I know that it doesn't get cold here very often, but just use your imagination that it's cold outside, all right? 
Um, maybe as cold as it is in this building. Some people bring blankets in here because it's... Anyways, it's cold outside, and uh, you've been outside for a long time, and so you've kind of been bundled up, but you're a little bit cold, and you walk into your house. Okay, follow with me. You walk into your house, and in the middle of your living room, someone has set a fire on your rug, on your couch, somewhere in the middle of your living room, there is a fire in the middle of your living room. As you walk out, as you walk into your house, there's a fire. What are some of the emotions that come up? Fear, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, despair, whatever else you want to come up with. Bad things, right? Same scenario. It's cold outside. You've been outside all day long. You walk into your home and there's a fire, but it's in the fireplace. What are some of the feelings that come associated with that? Someone cared about me. Someone loves me. Someone has thought about me. I feel warm inside, not just physically. What's the difference? It's both the fire in your living room, but one is in its proper place, and one isn't. When we take things that God has given to us as good, and we use them in an improper place, they are not good. And it brings forth fear and anxiety and despair and broken relationships. And we can keep going down the list. But when we take something that God has given to us as good and and use it within the proper place, he calls it worship. He says it's very good. But why as a church, are we so afraid to talk about these topics? Why as a church, are we okay with the culture creating the narrative? Like we, we have the inventor of it writing us words about how to interact with this. Why would we not herald this news to everyone, young and old? Whether you're married or you're not married, the, the gift that God has given to us is a good gift. I've walked around... Um, few cemeteries in my day, and I've never come across a headstone that says this person died because they didn't have enough sex. Never. It's not a need. Because if it was a need, God would be some sort of brutal God to give someone the gift of singleness if it was a need. What kind of good God would do that? It would be like, hey, you need air to breathe, but I'm not going to give you air. Good luck. No. It is a gift that God has given to us to give away within the confines of marriage between a husband and a wife, a covenant relationship. And it is good to be enjoyed. And the church has been silent on this, and we shouldn't be afraid to say those kinds of words. It doesn't help our teenagers. It doesn't help our people that are single. It doesn't help our husbands and our wives who are struggling. To how do we interact with this? Because the Bible says it's good and it's a gift, but the church has kind of looked down its nose and said, ah, it's kind of icky and gross, and you probably shouldn't do this, and it's bad. Oh, but wait, you're married now. It's good. Have fun. What? Hold on, how can I flip that switch? No. When it's done in its proper context, it's worship. When it's not, it's 
scary. It's bad. So the church hasn't stood firm. We've uh, kind of said, hey, you know what? Um, these things, ah, they're, they're not that bad. But God says, no, 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 no. Sin brings forth separation between me and my people. And that's not good. Church needs to stand firm and say, no, 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 this is what the Bible says. There's not a gray area. The word porneia encompasses all of those things. And the Bible tells us to abstain. Not only abstain, it tells us to flee from those things. Not see how close you can get to the line, but see how far away from the line you can be. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? There's, there, the, what is the will of God? The will of God is for is our sanctification or our holiness that we would move towards God. That is the will of God for our life. That's what he says here. The will of God is for us to move towards God. Sin, sin, anytime, anytime that we choose what we want over what God wants, anytime we elevate a desire to the level of need, this not sanctification, sin is moving away from God. So the will of God for our life is us toward, move towards God. Sin is us moving away from God. How do we remedy this? Because we are sinful people. The gospel. Because the gospel is God comes to us. He knows that we can never bridge the gap between us and him. And so God comes to us. The gospel is where it is. The gospel, you cannot remedy the gap between you and God. So God comes to you through Jesus and becomes a sacrifice on your behalf in order to bridge the gap that you created. I need you to understand this. We all need to understand that we created the gap. And he brings us into a right relationship with God, adopting us into his family, gives us a new life. Not sin, not shame, new life. So what we need is the gospel. What we need is the gospel. And the, the follower of Jesus who is flirting with Pornea. You know what they need? The gospel. God comes to them, gives them a new life, no sin, no shame. He paid it all. The gospel. You know, the, the person who does not know God, who is um, bought into the lie that the culture has uh, sold to them, that, that is addicted and enslaved to these sins, you know what they need? The gospel. We all need the gospel because we can't do it on our own. That is why we need the gospel. And this has been the plan from the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything and it's good, right? Genesis 3, man ruins everything, right? Adam and Eve are tempted. Eve takes the fruit. Adam stands by passively, not doing his role as a protector of the family. But then takes the fruit as well. They desired something that wasn't for them. Their misplaced desires brought forth destruction, right? And, and, and then God comes down or comes to them and, and punishes them, right? There's separation now. 
But in the midst of the punishment, he curses the serpent. And he says that there will be enmity between um, your seed and the seed of the woman. And this is the struggle that we have experienced in our life. This is our battle against sin. That the enemy took a gift, the garden, that was given to us as good and manipulates it in order to destroy us. He makes us desire something that's not for us and he convinces us that that desire is now a need. In the midst of that, in the midst of God punishing us for the sins that we've committed, he provides a promise. He says there's going to be a battle between man and the the seed of the serpent, or our culture, or Satan, however, the prince of the power of this air, right? There's going to be a battle, ongoing battle, over and over. But eventually, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That is the promise. That is the gospel. That is that Jesus will be born of a woman and he will defeat our two biggest adversaries, sin and death. And he did that on the cross. He lived the perfect life. He died a perfect death so that we might be made right with God. You know what we need is the gospel. He comes to make all things right. No matter how entrenched you are in this sin, No matter how much shame you're carrying around, no matter how scared you are to get help, Jesus came to give you a new life. The enemy has taken something that God made us good. He gives us this gift to be enjoyed properly. And he manipulates this gift and creates these misplaced desires that lead to our destruction. Sin involves our whole body. First Corinthians 6 8 says this, right? It involves our whole body. Uh, that, that when we do these things, we fall out of right relationship with Jesus. This is sin. But also we fall out of right relationship with uh, our uh, the people around us, man. Right? This is first Thessalonians 4 6. And the gospel is extended to everyone. Even if you're convinced that you've ruined it all, the gospel is con- extended to you that you might have new life. This is good news. That's what the gospel is. Good news that you can have new life. And this is the issue that everyone in this room is affected by. Whether you would like to admit it or not. Our culture is pumping this into our minds on a daily basis. Our culture is making it not only easy to access, but acceptable to talk about in public. There's no more shame that is associated with these things. People are open about it. The culture is winning because we have not stood up for what Jesus has given us, which is the gospel that will bring freedom from bondage. This isn't about about us looking at people and saying that you're wrong. This is about us looking at people and saying, here is the gospel that you're in a broken relationship with Jesus, but he comes to you. You're moving away from him, but he is coming to you to mend that relationship. 
That is the gospel. It's not us shaking our fingers at people and telling them that they're bad. We are not the judge. God is the judge. That is his job. Our responsibility is to extend the gospel, to embrace the gospel, to live out the gospel. And so the most important thing that you can do today in this room is to do business with God as it pertains to this issue. Not go get your kids from the nursery. Not try to get to lunch fast. But to do business with God because we're all being bombarded by Pornea. I've given you guys these sheets. And this is what we're going to do. The, the band is going to come up here. They're going to lead us in two more songs. I'm just telling you that so you can prepare yourself so that you're not anxious about getting out of here. They're going to lead us in two more songs. I'm sure that they're going to come up here. Um, and this is what we're going to do. As they're singing, and as you're singing with them, we're going to have some people in the back. If you would like to pray with someone because this is an issue that you're struggling with and that you feel enslaved to this, then I would say come to the back and allow us to pray over you. But this is an issue that every single person in this room is bombarded by on a regular basis. And five minutes is not enough to gain freedom. And so this is what we want to do. You've been given a slip of paper. It says the Greek word pranea on it. This is what I want you to do. As you are doing business with God, as you are talking to God, as you are um, acknowledging the things that you've done and knowing that they're wrong and, and, and doing what God has called us to do is repent, turn away from those things and turn to God. And then ultimately trusting that God's that God's forgiveness will cleanse you of everything that you've done wrong. Not that you'll be mostly cleansed, but that you are a new creature. As you're doing that, I want you to take this sheet. I want you to fold it in half as many times as you want. And I want you to rip it in half because this no longer has hold of us. Because of the gospel, not because of what we've done, but because of the gospel. It no longer has bondage over us. I want you to rip it in half, then I want you to hold on to it. And as you leave, I don't want you to hold on to it anymore. I want you to take it, and there's a trash can by every door, every exit. I want you to put it in that trash can, saying, I no longer am going to be associated with Pornea. I'm going to abstain and flee from this. I'm not okay with it. Because the gospel has given me victory. Jesus' blood that was shed for me has given me victory. And so therefore I can walk in freedom, not in shame. If you need to talk to someone, we'll have some guys and some girls in the back of the room. We want to have a conversation with you. But the most important thing you can do today is do business with God. Let me pray for us really quickly, Lord Jesus. In this moment... There's a lot of tension because there's a lot of bondage. So my prayer is that you can loosen the chains, that you will break us free from the slavery, and that we can experience victory in you. Give us boldness in this moment to do business with you, the most important thing that we can do today. If anyone needs to have a conversation, Lord, give them the boldness to stand up and go pray with someone in the back. Not worrying about the people in this room because they're not the judge. You are the judge. You're the only one that matters, Lord Jesus.
We love you. Thank you for the gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. And if you need to do business with God, please do business with God. Do not be distracted by the time. Do not be distracted by going to get any kids. Do business with the Lord today.